Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold the peter ship show Today's podcast is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder makes it fast and easy to get affordable term life insurance without leaving home. Just go to ladderlife.com slash gold today to see if you're instantly approved. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Indeed. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Peter. Today we had yet another of what the media had been billing as the most important Fed press conference ever. Because this was the conference where Chair Powell, the magician that he is, was going to magically transform himself from a dove into a hawk. And the reason for this miraculous transformation is that the inflation numbers were getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And in fact, Powell himself had already retired a term he never should have used in the first place, and that's transitory, from his vocabulary. So he's no longer referring to inflation as transitory. Therefore, it's not transitory, it's permanent. And now the Fed can't hope that inflation goes away on its own. The Fed actually has to do something to put out the fire, and that's what people were expecting. That's what they were bracing themselves for. In fact, the stage for today's Magic Act was actually set yesterday when we got the release of the much hotter than expected producer price numbers for November. In fact, this is the worst, meaning the biggest increase, in producer prices in the history of the survey. Now, they weren't keeping track of this back in the 1970s, so there probably was a bigger increase. We just weren't charting it. I'm not really sure when they started with the PPI, but this is the worst one they've ever tracked. And if you look at where the expectations were, the consensus was for a 0.5% increase on the month and a year-over-year increase of 9.2, which is pretty big. But the actual numbers came out even bigger. The monthly increase was 08 And that was substantially above the high end of the range of consensus, which went from a low of 0.3 
to a high of 0.6. Now, you know, there were some people whispering about that we may get as high as 1%. So I guess we didn't beat the whisper number, but 0.8 is still a pretty big number and it was higher than people expected. Year over year, another beat. In fact, the prior month, year over year PPI increase was initially reported as up 8.6. That was revised to up 8.8. The expectation was for November to clock in at up 9.2. Instead, we came out at up 9.6, again, above the upper end of estimate. The high was 9.2, so we're above that. The low was 8.4. These are big, big numbers. Again, the worst number ever, but also if you compare producer prices to consumer prices, the year-over-year increase in consumer prices is 6.8%. There's a big difference between 9.6 and 6.8. Yes, and the producers are eating that difference. They are taking a hit to their margins to spare their customers the full impact of inflation, which again shows the lunacy of what some of the Democrats are saying. Elizabeth Warren has specifically blamed greedy business owners for gouging their customers. That's why we have inflation, because these greedy business owners are taking advantage of their customers as we're coming out of a pandemic and they're just gouging them with high prices. Well, if that were true, then consumer prices would be rising more than producer prices. The fact that it's the other way around shows that it's the producer who's actually getting gouged. The customers are the ones doing the gouging or the producer is allowing the customer to gouge him because he's afraid of losing a customer. That's what's been going on. And as I've said, a lot of these businesses are kind of reluctant to push through price increases because they believed the Fed, they believed Wall Street or other economists that it's just temporary, it's just transitory. So don't bother raising your prices when you're just gonna have to roll them back in a few months. Just live through it for a few months and everything will be fine. Well, it's now getting more and more obvious that it's not fine. I think producers are gonna look to make up for lost ground in 2022. So not only will consumers get hit with the full wrath of inflation in 2022, but they're going to get hit with the inflation that they were shielded from in 2021 because I think the producers will not only raise prices enough to compensate for the 2022 inflation, but they're going to raise them by enough to compensate for the portion of the 2021 inflation that they lost out to because they weren't aggressive enough in raising prices. In other words, Elizabeth Warren, businesses should have raised prices even more as a result of the inflation that the government caused. But because they were nice people, because they were concerned about not hurting the customers, they absorbed that inflation. They basically took the bullet on behalf of the customer. They couldn't take all the bullets, but they took some. But I think next year, the consumer is gonna have to get hit with the full wrath of the inflation that is being caused not by the business owners. The business owners are suffering from inflation just like the consumer. You know, businesses want to sell as much stuff as possible and they know that they can sell more stuff at lower prices. So all businessmen want to try to figure out how to lower their prices. Now, they don't want to lower their profits, so they want their costs to go down and prices go down so they can maintain their margins but sell more stuff. They hate to have to raise prices, but they have no choice because the government is destroying the value of the money, and so the cost of business is going up, and so they are reluctantly passing on these higher prices that they're experiencing to the customer because ultimately the customer is on the hook for all of the costs associated with producing the products or providing the services that they're buying. Now, getting back to these PPI numbers and looking at how bad they are, even the core number, right, stripping out food and energy, which the Fed likes to do, that was up 0.7, almost twice the 0.4% gain that had been expected above the upper end of the range, which was 0.5, year-over-year core, up 7.7%. 
Even if you strip out food and energy, you're talking almost 8%. That's four times the so-called 2% target that the Fed has. Again, that exceeded the 7.2% forecast. And even if you strip out trade services as well as food and energy, you're still up 6.9%. So this was a horrible report card on inflation, an even bigger fail than the markets had expected. And of course, as soon as this number came out, the dollar rallied, gold sold off. Again, why? Why is this happening? Why is high inflation good for the dollar? After all, high inflation basically means the dollar is losing value. So why is a dollar losing value more attractive to investors? Why would you want to buy dollars more when you're told that they're losing value even faster than you thought? Again, it's because everybody believes that the Fed is now going to finally have to fight inflation. After all, it's this bad. They can't keep ignoring it. That's the same reason gold keeps going down on higher than expected inflation because everybody believes, okay, this is it. They can't ignore it anymore. Now they're really going to have to get serious. They're really going to have to fight inflation. And so they're going to have to raise rates and that's going to be bearish for gold. At some point, the markets need to figure out that high inflation isn't good for the dollar and it isn't bad for gold. And it doesn't mean the Fed is going to fight it. The fact that the Fed let inflation get this bad and it hasn't fought it yet is proof that it's never going to fight it. I mean, you can't keep looking at ever-increasing inflation numbers and say, aha, now the Fed's finally going to do something. I mean, are the markets really going to sit back for another year and maybe inflation gets to 15%? Aha, okay, now they're really going to do something now. This is it. They got to move rates off of zero. They got to hike rates. So we really got to sell gold because 15% inflation means the Fed is going to get serious about fighting it. If the Fed was ever going to get serious, they would have already done so. The evidence was overwhelming that we had an inflation problem a year or two ago and the Fed did nothing. Remember, I made many podcasts where I talked about how the Fed was making an all or nothing bet on transitory, that if inflation turned out not to be transitory, it was going to be an economic apocalypse and that any rational Fed chairman would have taken out some insurance back then just to make sure. But the fact that the Fed didn't even want to pay the cost of the insurance meant that if the insurance was so expensive, imagine the cost of actually having to fight inflation if it ended up rearing its head because the insurance would have been ending the stimulus sooner, ending QE, raising rates a little bit a year ago rather than waiting for the inflation genie to be completely out of the bottle, which is obvious what they did. And now it's really impossible to do what everybody expects the Fed to do every time they see another worse than expected inflation number. And of course, Powell first denied there was any inflation to worry about. And then when inflation became an issue, he said, well, we don't have to worry about it because it's transitory. He finally admitted that it's not transitory. So the Fed has gotten everything wrong when it comes to inflation. So why does the market still believe the Fed's going to get it right when it comes to fighting inflation? It's going to be just as wrong in its fight against inflation as it was in its forecast regarding inflation. In fact, it may never even fight inflation. That is the irony of it, because if it fights inflation, inflation is going to win. So it may just stay out of the battle altogether and just concede. And in fact, after these numbers came out, news stories started to circulate pretty widely that what the Fed was going to announce today was going to be a doubling of the pace of the taper, meaning instead of doing $15 billion a month in reductions in its QE program, it would reduce the bond buying by $30 billion a month, right? And this was seen as yet another tightening because they were withdrawing the accommodation faster than they had originally intended. And this was roiling the markets, but also a lot of people expected Powell to talk a little bit more about liftoff, about raising interest rates. Maybe interest rates might come sooner. Maybe they won't wait until they finish the taper. Maybe they'll raise rates sooner. Now, of course, if Powell really was serious about fighting inflation, which he is not, they would just end QE right now. I mean, they wouldn't taper it. They would just stop doing it, 
right? If you've got a fire, just stop pouring gasoline on it. Don't just gradually pour on less, just stop. And if you got an inflation problem, raise rates. In fact, if you go back to the last press conference that Powell gave, when at the time he was still assuring everybody that inflation was transitory, what was his plan given an environment of transitory inflation, meaning it's not even a problem, it's going to go away on its own, right? So we don't have an inflation problem. What was the Fed's plan? Well, they were going to taper QE gradually or $15 billion a month. They were going to wind up the QE program probably by May of next year. And the first rate hike could come as soon as June of next year, right? That is what Powell was forecasting the Fed's policy would be in an environment where there was really no inflation threat because it was a transitory blip in inflation, No big deal. We don't have a problem. We're still not at full employment. So this is our plan. Now, all of a sudden, fast forward to today's conference, right? Powell has already come out and admitted that the Fed was wrong. Inflation wasn't transitory. And it's not just concentrated in narrow segments that are related to the reopening. It's pervasive, widespread. It's here. It's a problem. And the Fed's going to deal with it. Okay, well, how did everybody assume the Fed was going to deal with this problem that up until recently, it didn't even think existed. Well, the modifications to the plan was to double the rate of the taper so that instead of finishing the QE program in May, they finished it in March, a couple months earlier. And so instead of raising rates for the first time in June, maybe the first rate hike would come in April, right? So you're talking about just ending QE a couple months earlier and raising rates from zero a couple months earlier. And so maybe this new hawkish pal, instead of raising interest rates to a half a percent by the end of 2022, he's going to jack those babies all the way up to three quarters of 1%. Now, if we actually have an inflation problem, how is that possibly going to work when you've barely altered the policy when there was no inflation problem? I mean, the reason that Powell gave for being able to taper, the reason we didn't have to go cold turkey on QE was because we didn't have an inflation problem. The reason we can have these little tiny rate hikes next year was because inflation wasn't a problem. Now, all of a sudden, inflation is a problem, yet we have the same approach. We're still going to taper QE instead of going cold turkey, and we're still going to have these quarter point rate hikes, maybe just one extra rate hike in 2022. How is that going to do anything about the severity of the inflation problem we have right now? It's not. I mean, how do you solve an inflation problem? Remember, we've got inflation. Hey, let's just call it 7%. We know it's much higher than that, but let's just say 7%. How do you fight inflation? What would a Federal Reserve that was committed to fighting inflation, what would it do? Well, one thing it needs to do is shrink the money supply, right? Because you got too much money chasing too few goods. That is the problem. Well, if you have too much money, how do you solve that problem? Well, get rid of some of the money. Well, how do you do that? You shrink your balance sheet. Now, why do we have too much money? Because the Fed has a too big balance sheet. The Fed's balance sheet is almost $8.7 trillion. Before COVID, it was under $4 trillion. So where did all that extra balance sheet come from? It's because the Federal Reserve printed all this money and used it to buy up Treasury. So you have all this extra money. Prices are rising. So if you want to reverse that, you need to get rid of that extra money. So what do you do? The Fed needs to shrink its balance sheet. It needs to sell Treasuries and shrink the amount of money in circulation. That's how you fight inflation. But the Fed is not talking about that at all. In fact, it's still doing the opposite of that. It is continuing to purchase treasuries and add more money into an economy that already has too much money, which is obvious by what's happening to prices. Life insurance is one of those products that you buy and you hope you never need it. In other words, 
you hope your premium is a complete waste. But if it's not a waste, you want to make sure that the people that you leave behind get the most bang for your insurance buck. That's why term life insurance is the best life insurance. And that's why Ladder is the right choice. It's 100% digital. And when you apply for up to $3 million in coverage or less, there are no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork. To apply, you just need a phone and a laptop and a few spare minutes. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. If you prefer to talk to someone, they have a team of licensed agents available to help you. And they don't work on commission, so they're there to help you, not to help sell you into some more expensive insurance product that benefits them, not you. There are no hidden fees, and you can cancel any time. And if you change your mind in the first 30 days, you get a full refund, no questions asked. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long-proven histories of paying their claims. Since life insurance costs more as you get older, now's the best time to cross that one off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash gold today to see if you're instantly approved. That's ladderlife, L-A-D-D-E-R, life.com slash gold to see if you're instantly approved. But even after the Fed finishes the taper, it's still going to be buying treasuries. Because once it ends its QE program, the Fed is already committed to reinvesting all of the maturing notes on its balance sheet and all of the interest that it earns on those notes. So in other words, even after the taper, the Fed is still going to be buying treasuries. It's still going to be adding additional money into circulation. How do you fight inflation by doing that? If you're a monetarist, right, and you think inflation is everywhere and everywhere a monetary phenomenon, well, you're not going to fight inflation by increasing the supply of money. But even if you're a Keynesian, right, if Keynesians look at inflation as a function of demand, right, too much aggregate demand, and in fact, Powell is blaming the inflation we have on demand or demand and supply imbalances. Now, Powell says that those demand imbalances are the result of the pandemic, but the pandemic didn't cause the demand. In fact, pandemic would have reduced demand. The reason we had increasing demand during the pandemic was because the Fed printed all this money and the government gave it out to everybody to spend. If it wasn't for the Fed increasing the money supply, demand would have gone down during the pandemic and it should have gone down because we were working less, we were producing less, so we should have had less demand. Instead, we had more demand. Whose fault is that? It's not the pandemic's fault, it's the Fed's fault. So when Powell blames inflation on demand, he's in effect blaming it on himself because the demand is coming from Fed policy. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to join Delete me.com slash gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. 
That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. But again, the way the Keynesians would say you fight inflation is you got to reduce aggregate demand. And of course, what's happening when you have inflation and too much spending? People are spending too much money and they're not saving enough money. So what you have to do is you have to change the propensity to consume in favor of a propensity to save. You got to change those preferences in consumers, right? Because right now you got 0% interest rates, you got 7% inflation. So interest rates are negative 7%. Right. Even if you take your savings and you buy a U.S. Treasury, the U.S. Treasury 10-year is less than 1.5%. The 30-year is still under 2%. It's under 1.9%. So real yields on a 30-year Treasury are minus 5%, right? So nobody is going to save when you have negative real interest rates of 7 to 5%. So you're just going to spend, right? You'd have to be a fool to save. In addition, if you want to go out and borrow money to buy something, if the cost of borrowing money is really low, well, you're more likely to take on debt in order to finance that consumption. So how do you change the behavior and the pattern? Well, you got to have interest rates high enough so that people are incentivized to save. Well, one thing that you've got to do is have positive interest rates because Even if you make interest rates less negative, you still don't create an incentive to save. In other words, let's say the Fed raised interest rates to 1%. And so instead of a negative 6% or whatever, you got a negative 5%. Do you really think somebody is going to say, whoa, I can get negative 5% now? Sign me up for that. I mean, I didn't want to save my money when I was losing 6% a year. But if I can only lose 5% a year, well, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I'm going to start saving. I'm going to turn into, you know, Scrooge McDuck now because I can earn a negative 5%. No, if the number is negative at all, you're not going to save because nobody wants to lose money. So the only way that you can entice somebody into savings is by giving them a positive rate of return. Hey, don't spend that money right now. Put it aside because you can get 3% interest or 4% interest real, right? Not imaginary. It has to be real interest, not fake interest. Because if prices are rising faster than your interest, everybody knows they're not moving forward. They're moving backwards. Because the whole point about saving is to pay for future consumption. Well, if consumption in the future is going to cost a lot more than consumption now, then people are going to rush out and buy. It's only when you have interest that is real that you can end up reducing your cost of future consumption and therefore consuming more in aggregate if you can save now for a real return. So in order to fight inflation and to get consumers to stop spending and start saving, you need positive real interest rates. Well, what do we have to do to get positive real interest rates? Well, if inflation's at 7%, well, start with eight, start with nine. I mean, we're not even talking about getting anywhere near those numbers. So how is the Fed ever going to get people to stop borrowing and spending and start saving if they're never going to get interest rates even close to being zero in real terms, let alone positive, which is what would be required? Between funding, marketing, operations, and product, being a founder means you have to wear a lot of hats. Well, let Indeed take one of those hats off your head so you can focus on more pressing matters. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible. Because you can do it all, attract, interview, and hire 
all at Indeed. And with Indeed, you can attract, interview, and hire in just one place. So don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need using tools like Indeed's Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. In fact, thanks to Indeed's virtual interviews, you can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. No need to install anything new, interview virtually with no downloads, plugins, or purchases. You can do it all in one place using Indeed. I know that perfect job candidate is out there and using Indeed, you're far more likely to find them. Finding great talent doesn't have to be your second job. You can hire faster and better when you partner with Indeed. And get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. That's a $75 credit at Indeed.com Peter. Just go to Indeed.com Peter. This offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire, then you need Indeed. And of course, if the Fed were to fight inflation by actively trying to reduce demand and consumption, it would of course create a recession. How could it not? If the economy is 70 plus percent consumer spending and the way to reduce inflation is to reduce that spending, well, you're going to bring about a recession. GDP is going to go down. So in order to fight inflation, you have to concede that we're probably going to have a recession. But not only a recession, probably a financial crisis, because raising interest rates high enough to encourage people to save is also going to discourage them from speculating in high-risk assets. And so a lot of these stocks that are in bubbles, we're going to be deflating. And of course, as the stock market collapses, that's going to further undermine an economy that is fueled by the wealth effect and consumption related to that. There is no way for the Fed to fight inflation in any serious way without creating a recession, without causing a financial crisis, and which is why the Fed is never going to fight inflation. It doesn't matter how high it gets, it can't fight it. Now, it can't say that. Powell's never going to admit that because that's an even bigger problem and probably that accelerates the crisis. So he has to bluff the markets for as long as he can get away with it. And as he started talking about the fact that inflation was no longer transitory, acknowledging that mistake, the market's now braced for Powell to actually get more aggressive, which is why we ended up with a pretty decent rally in the market today, reversing morning losses. The Dow ended up 383 points. That's about 1%. The Nasdaq, which had been beaten up even worse, that was up two and a quarter percent today. The dollar reversed early gains, finished negative. Gold reversed early losses, finished positive. Wasn't a big day. I mean, gold was up about seven bucks, but you know, it was down maybe $10, $15 earlier in the day when everybody expected this hawkish pal to show up. But instead, it was the same old dove. Although this dove is still talking about fighting inflation, but if you actually listen to what he's saying, what is his battle plan for this war against inflation? Again, it's pretty much the same battle plan he had when there was no inflation. So how can this be serious? The markets maybe are realizing that that is the case, and we had a relief rally when this hawkish pal did not show up, And we got the same bird that we've got at every single conference. Now, yes, Powell reiterated the doubling of the taper, but he made it clear in the Q&A that rate hikes are not going to happen until the taper is finished, right? He said that it doesn't make any sense to hike rates while you're tapering because he said tapering means you're still doing QE and any QE is an easing. And raising rates is a tightening. And so he said it makes no sense to ease and tighten at the same time, which is true. But what also makes no sense is to keep easing right now. If we have an inflation problem, why make it worse? In fact, Steve Leisman from CNBC, and I give him a lot of crap, at least he asked a decent question, although he didn't have a decent follow-up. He said to Powell, well, wait a minute. If we got an inflation problem, why continue with the QE? Why not just stop? I mean, who says you have to taper? Just stop the bond buying right now. And the answer that Powell gave, of course, 
didn't even make sense, but he had to come up with some excuse why he's doing this. And he said, well, you know, we've learned from shrinking the balance sheet. And it's not like, you know, they've had a lot of experience with shrinking balance sheets because the Fed has only had one balance sheet to shrink. And that was the one they were shrinking before COVID. But somehow he said, what we've learned when it comes to balance sheet shrinking is that you got to be slow. You got to be steady. You need a balanced approach or something like that. Meaning like it would roil the markets. If we move faster, maybe the stock market would crash or something. So we can't have that happen. And so, you know, we got to go slow, you know, to placate the markets. Even though we have an inflation problem, we're willing to make it a little bit worse. But he said, look, you know, we're going to be finished by March anyway. So no big deal. I mean, why start the inflation battle in December? I mean, we're going to start it in March. So what's the big deal? Well, it's four more months of a bad problem getting worse. It actually is a big deal. But of course, there's no guarantee the Fed is even going to do anything about it after it finishes the taper because it might not necessarily raise interest rates, even though it is indicating that it will. But in fact, if you look at the dot plots from this meeting, according to the Fed, by the end of 2023, so not the end of next year, but the end of the year after that. So two years from now, the expectation is for Fed funds to be up to one and three quarters percent. How can that be indicative of a hawkish Fed that is committed to fighting the worst inflation in at least 30 some odd years if you believe the government's numbers? And if you don't believe the government's numbers, the worst inflation ever, how is the Fed going to do that if it only raises interest rates to 1.75%. First of all, that's lower than it was before COVID. Remember, the Fed had got up to about two and a half and then it paused and it did the mid-course correction. But it was at two and a half percent in December of 2018 before it started its reduction. And then it got back down to one and three quarters in September of 2019. And that is where the Fed now sees rates returning to at the end of 2023. Except there's a big difference because back in September of 2019, the official inflation rate was still sub 2%. So there was some justification, I guess, on the Fed's part for having interest rates that low when they were still officially trying to move the inflation rate up to its target rate of 2%. But if you've got an inflation rate that is triple your target, how do you justify an interest rate of 1.75%? And in fact, if interest rates are at 1.75%, how does anybody believe that a 7% inflation rate is going to come down? Because you still will have record low real interest rates. How do you fight inflation with record low real interest rates when high real interest rates are required to actually fight inflation? Why do you think Paul Volcker had to go up to 20%? I mean, was it like he thought that was a good place to have interest rates? Hey, where should interest rates be? Hey, how about 20%? That sounds like a nice round number. No, Volcker didn't want interest rates to go up to 20. That's where they had to go. That's the rate that was required in the market to convince people to stop spending and start saving. Because before that, even though rates were high, they weren't high enough because inflation was higher. So Volcker knew that we needed a game changer to change this dynamic, to get out of this inflationary psychology. We needed positive real rates. And Volcker didn't care the collateral damage to the economy because he knew it was worth it in the end to vanquish inflation. But you're never going to do that adopting a policy like the one that we have. And so maybe when investors really get a look at these dots and it's like, wait a minute, they're going to be at one and three quarters in two and a half years? I mean, that's not a tightening. Why are we worried about that? I mean, inflation could be so much higher by the end of 2023 than it is right now that real interest rates will actually be even lower at the end of 2023 with a 1.75% Fed funds rate than they are right now with a 0% rate because inflation is going to move up a lot more than two percentage points. In fact, the other crazy thing about the press conference is that Powell continued to refer to the U.S. economy 
And he did this several times throughout the Q&A as being strong. He said, we have strong growth. We have a really strong economy, not just a strong economy, a really strong economy. So we've got a really strong economy and we've got all this inflation. Why aren't you raising rates right now? Why are you talking about potentially raising rates? And he's not even committed. You know, he's still data dependent. They still may adjust the taper. They're still looking at the unemployment rate and saying that a lot of it depends on employment. You know what? Even if unemployment goes up, the Fed needs to raise rates. I mean, it shouldn't be data dependent on anything. First of all, no matter what the data is, there is no justification for having rates at zero. So rates need to go up regardless of what you think is going to happen with employment, regardless of what you think is going to happen with inflation. Rates shouldn't be here. But Powell's acting as if, well, we have to see what happens before we decide to raise rates. No, you don't have to see. You raise rates right now because they're way too low even in an ideal environment. But we're far from an ideal environment. We have a lot of inflation. And I would say in this environment, even if unemployment starts to really rise, the Fed needs to raise rates anyway. I mean, what is the Fed going to do? If there's a big increase in unemployment and inflation keeps going up, is the Fed going to say, well, we can't fight that inflation because we have all this unemployment. If you let inflation run out of control, it's just going to make it worse for the people who are unemployed because their cost of living is going to go up and they don't have any paychecks. All they get is their unemployment benefits or their meager savings. So when you compound unemployment with inflation, you make it even harder for the people who are unemployed, but then you also make it harder for the people who still have jobs because you're destroying the value of their wages. And you know, by the way, I do read a lot of stories now and I listen online and people are talking about how inflation is eroding away the value of wages, right? Because the wage gains are not as big as the increases in the cost of living. And so real wages are falling, even as nominal wages are rising. But what I don't hear anybody talk about is the hit that retirees are taking, people living on a fixed income. Because at least people who are getting wages, well, they can get a raise, But when your income is fixed, it's fixed. There is no raise, right? If you're clipping coupons, if you've got a bond that is paying a set rate or you got a pension, you have a annuity that's fixed and there's a particular payment that you're getting, you're just getting the same payment. So you don't get any raise at all. So you can't offset the increase in cost of living with anything. At least if you're still in the workforce, you can get a raise, even if it's not enough to make you whole, it will mitigate your losses. So if inflation is 7% and you manage a 4% raise, well, you're only 3% underwater. But if inflation is 7% and you're on a fixed income, you take the entire 7% hit. So these people are hit especially hard and nobody is talking about them. And of course, a lot of these people, what they've been doing is they're just gambling in the stock market. Maybe some of them are gambling in cryptocurrencies. They're in for a rude awakening when they end up losing all that money because they made the wrong bet. But the reason they were pushed out on the risk curve was that the yields on safer investments were already inadequate. So they took a Hail Mary on these risk assets. And now it's actually going to be intercepted for the pick six in the other direction. That's how badly these guys are going to lose uh, these bets they made. Like one of the interesting questions that Powell got, because he did talk about how demand was very robust, you know, and that was part of the reason for the price increases because we had all this demand. And he mentioned, of course, that the stimulus that Congress had is what supported demand, right? We had a lot of demand because Congress came in there with all these stimulus programs designed to create demand. Because again, that's all the government could do. They can't create supply. They can create plenty of demand by printing money, but they don't create supply. That's the problem. When you just create demand, prices have to go up because you just have the same supply, but you have more money to pay for it. So prices have to go up to clear the market. So somebody said to Powell, well, was the stimulus a mistake then? Because if you're saying we have too much demand and the demand is thanks to the stimulus, was the stimulus a mistake? And Powell said, well, you know, I'm not going to judge the merits of the stimulus. I don't want to comment on that. I'm not going to say that it was wrong. Well, why not? I mean, if we got an inflation problem because we have too much demand, where did the demand come from? 
the stimulus. Of course, the reason Powell doesn't want to fault the stimulus is because without the Fed, there would have been no stimulus because the Fed had to partner up with the government to fund the stimulus. The stimulus checks would have bounced if Powell didn't fill up the government's bank with money that they created out of thin air. But of course it was a mistake. But Powell refuses to acknowledge the mistake. In fact, everything the Fed does is a mistake. Everything Congress has done is a mistake. That's why we're in this mess. But nobody in Washington ever acknowledges a mistake. They just repeat the mistakes over and over again. Only each time they do it, they do it bigger. Now, somebody did ask Powell a question about what the gap would be between the end of the taper, right, which should be in March, and the first rate hike, which he calls liftoff. And he said, look, you know, he doesn't think it'll be long, again, because we got a really strong economy. There's no reason that he can put his finger on now that would suggest that there'd be a long lag. But of course, you know, the Fed is going to make that decision at the appropriate time. But from where he's sitting right now, he would expect that rate hike to come. But again, the quarter point rate hike may have been acceptable in the environment where there was no inflation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you could say we're justifying going slowly because there's no inflation. Remember, what Powell initially said, if you go back to earlier press conferences with respect to the Fed's willingness to keep rates lower for longer, it was all based on the belief that inflation would be transitory. And so therefore, the Fed could err on the side of excessive ease because we don't think there's going to be inflation. But that if it turns out we're wrong and we end up with inflation, well, that's an easy problem to solve and we'll quickly react to it because we have the tools. And I said at the time, that's nonsense. That is a very difficult, if not impossible, problem to solve. The Fed should not be so cavalier. But they basically said, look, we're going to break from tradition when it comes to central banks. We are not going to fire first to be preemptive against inflation. We're going to wait until we see the whites of its eyes before we fire. We're going to hold our powder dry. Hopefully we don't need it. But then if we have to fight it, well, we're going to come out firing. Well, now it's clear that Powell bet wrong, right? Powell kept interest rates low in the face of low unemployment, economic growth, all this money printing. I mean, whether you're a Keynesian, monitor, supply sider, Austrian, no matter what school of thought you subscribe to when it comes to economics, you would have said inflation is coming. Yet Powell said, you know what? We're just going to take a shot, right? We're going to roll the dice and we're just going to give the economy the benefit of the doubt. We don't want to risk hurting growth, hurting unemployment based on the fact that maybe inflation will happen. We're just going to wait. And then if it does happen, well, then we'll tighten policy. Well, it has happened. What we're seeing now is proof that the Fed was wrong, that it's Risky bet didn't pay off. We ended up getting the inflation that a lot of people were worried was coming. And it was the reason the foul needed to take out that insurance policy, but it decided to go without insurance, right? We're up on a high wire. We don't need a net because we know we're not going to fall. Well, you know what? We fell and there's no net. And now we got a big problem, right? Powell doesn't want to admit that. What Powell should be doing now is like, okay, yep, we made a mistake. We let the economy run too hot, you know, in the worlds of the Keynesians. And, you know, now it's overheated. We got to slam on the brakes. No, he's basically got the same policy that he had before. We're going to go easy. We're going to be gradual. We're going to take our time based on what justification. You can't take your time. You got to be aggressive. You got to act now. You got to get out in front of the inflation curve. In fact, Powell claimed in the Q&A, oh, I don't think we're behind the inflation curve. Really? The rates are at zero? Inflation's at 7% and you're at zero? You're so far behind that curve, you can't even see it. That's how far behind. And Powell is still pretending that the Fed's got this under control. In fact, the most frustrating part about the whole press conference is nobody really held Powell's feet to the fire over 
His mistake, the Fed was wrong in a big, big way to gamble on inflation staying low, to keep interest rates as low as it did for as long as it did. The emergency is long since passed. Everybody knew that. There was no reason for the Fed to still be at zero. There's no reason for the Fed to still be doing QE. The only reason the Fed gave to justify doing it was its belief that inflation was transitory and there was nothing to worry about. And so we can afford to keep rates lower longer because we're not going to have to deal with the inflation problem that you would normally expect because this time it's different. We got a new economy. We got a global economy. It's a new era. We got all this technology, right? All this nonsense about why we don't have the same type of inflation problems now that we did in the past. And so we can break from tradition. The Fed no longer has to be preemptive of inflation because it's probably not going to be there. But in the unlikely event that it ends up being there and we're wrong, well, then we'll get aggressive and put that genie back in the bottle, which again, I said at the time, there is no way they're ever going to do that. How anybody could believe that the Fed would do that would be beyond me, yet here they are still believing it. When you have all this evidence that the Fed is lying, yet you still have people selling gold and buying dollars on bad inflation on the theory that, aha, this is it. The Fed is finally going to do something about inflation because now it's really bad. When in reality, if they were going to do something about inflation, they would have done it before it got really bad. You don't let a problem get really bad before you try to solve it. You prevent it from getting really bad. Unless, of course, you put yourself in a box where even preventing inflation from getting bad is a catastrophe, which is what it would have done. Had the Fed acted responsibly in the past, we would have had another financial crisis, which is why it won't act responsibly in the future. Because if it acts responsibly in the future, we'll have an even worse financial crisis than the one it didn't want to have had it acted responsibly in the past, right? A leopard doesn't change its spots. Or in this case, a dove doesn't change its feathers. Pal is never going to be a hawk. And eventually the markets are going to figure that out. In fact, look at the data that we got earlier today that came out before the FOMC meeting. Nobody really paid much attention to it because the FOMC meeting was the big news story of the day. And so probably whatever happened earlier was kind of pushed off to the back burner. But first thing this morning, we got the retail sales numbers for November. And this was a big miss. Now, of course, October's numbers were really strong. There was a 1.8% rise in retail sales. Now, it was actually an upward revision because it was first reported as up 1.7. But again, a lot of that is price because this is not adjusted for inflation. So if prices are really going up and we know they're going up, they're going up a lot more than the CPI, retail sales are going to go up. And they were up, but just 0.3% in the month of November versus 0.8% expected. Now, I'm sure prices were up a lot more than 0.3% during the month of November. So even though consumers spent more, they didn't buy more. They probably bought quite a bit less. It's just that they paid more for what they bought. And so retail sales rose, not because consumers are buying more, but because they're paying more. And nobody likes to pay more, right? They like to pay less, right? That's why they named the store Pay Less and not Pay More. If they named it Pay More, they wouldn't have a lot of customers. But that's what Americans are going to have to get used to, paying more and getting less. So this is bad news as far as I'm concerned, on the retail sales. And what's going to be happening more and more is consumers are going to have to start giving up a lot of things on the discretionary side in order to afford the items that they really need to survive, like food, like energy. You got to pay your rent, pay medical bills, taxes. You know, there's not going to be any money left over for the fun things in life because people are going to be spending all their money just staying alive, not trying to enjoy their life. And this is a lower standard of living, which is what we end up having with inflation. And which is why I critiqued, or one of the reasons I critiqued the CPI, because it doesn't really try to measure a constant standard of living. It's trying to measure the cost of surviving, no matter how low a quality of life you have, as long as you're eating and you're okay, doesn't matter what you eat, as long as you've got food and you're eating, it counts. But speaking about prices, we got a more realistic look at prices also this morning 
when we got the import export prices for the month of November. And I've talked about that on the podcast, but these prices to me are far more reflective of what's actually happening to prices than the CPI because these numbers aren't doctored, right? They're just looking at imports and looking at exports and just comparing the prices, right? They're not substituting. They're not using hedonics. There's no equivalent of owner's equivalent rent, some fantasy price that nobody pays. It's just, hey, what are we paying for these imports? What are we charging for these exports? These are the prices. And so the expectation was for a 0.7% increase in import prices. And we got that. We actually hit that on the dot 0.7, but we did upwardly revise the prior month, which was initially reported as up 1.2 to up 1.5. That's a big jump in a single month, right? Prices are up 1.5% in one month, right? That's almost the Fed's entire 2% annual target achieved in one month. Year over year now, import prices are up 11.7%. That's bigger than the 11.6% that was forecast because of the upward revisions to the prior month. But that's almost a 12% increase in prices of imports. Now, most of what we're paying is imported, right? I mean, how many things are you buying when it comes to goods that were made in America? Not that many. So if the price of imports are up 12%, well, pretty much your prices are up 12%. Now, a lot of those imports are being paid for by businesses. And we know from the producer prices that some of those price increases have been absorbed by those producers, right? So the imports go first to the producer who then turns around and resells them to the consumer. And so some of that increase is right now being reflected in the PPI, but it's only a matter of time until it's in the CPI. But even this number is bigger than the official PPI number. But where it really gets big is on the export side. Export prices in the month of November were supposed to rise by 0.7. Instead, they rose by 1%. And that comes following a slightly downwardly revised 1.4% for the month of October, that's still a big increase. In fact, if you take the last two months, October, November, you got 2.4% increase in prices in just two months. Year over year, export prices are now up 18.2%. In one year, 18.2%. Now people might say, well, who cares about export prices because we're exporting that stuff, right? So we don't have to pay those prices. In fact, that's a good thing. We're earning more money for our exports. And while that is true, right, you wanna sell your products for more money, a lot of the stuff that we're exporting, we're also consuming domestically. I mean, a lot of this stuff is agriculture, let's say. Well, the farmers that are selling their goods as exports, they're also selling those same goods domestically to Americans, I mean, Americans eat too. Farmers are selling a lot of what they produce To Americans, well, if they have to raise prices on exports by 18.2%, doesn't it stand to reason that they're raising prices to Americans by the same amount? I mean, if they weren't, they would just be exporting more. If foreigners were paying more, but not Americans, you would just want to export more and more. No, the Americans have to pay a globally competitive price for the products. And so I'm sure that the farmers are making as much on what they're selling domestically as what they're selling internationally. So Americans are still looking at these price increases. And the fact that our export prices are rising much faster than our import prices might suggest that we have a bigger inflation problem here than the rest of the world. Because when we buy imports, right, that reflects the production costs outside the United States. When foreigners buy our stuff, that reflects the cost of producing inside the United States. Now, when I think you're going to really start to see a big increase in import prices is when the dollar starts to tank. One of the reasons that import prices haven't gone up by more is because the dollar has actually strengthened, especially against a lot of the emerging market countries that are producing the stuff that we're importing. So a strong dollar has helped to offset what would have probably been even higher import prices, but for that strong dollar. But that benevolent factor is going to wear off. Once the dollar starts to fall, because investors connect the dots and realize that instead of high inflation 
being good for the dollar because the Fed's going to get aggressive and successfully fight it off. The markets look at higher prices as being bad for the dollar because the Fed is not going to fight it off. And even if it tries, it will fail and the dollar will keep losing value. So if we're going to have more domestic inflation that the Fed can't control, then the dollar is going to tank. And then you're really going to start to see these import prices soaring. But the point I made earlier, these prices are far more reflective of what's actually going on than the CPI, which says 6.8% because of all the manipulation that's baked into that cake. These are real numbers. So the actual inflation rate that we're experiencing probably falls somewhere between 11.7% and 18.2%. About 15% seems about right. That's the number I've been using. I think that's the number that Shadow Stats has when you apply the old CPI to today's prices and you recalculate using the old formula, you get about 15%, which again makes 2021 the highest inflation in U.S. history. It beats the 13.5% that we had in 1980, except back then the Fed had interest rates at 20%. Where does the Fed have them now? At zero. How are we going to fight the worst inflation in history with the lowest interest rates in history? It is impossible. Again, nobody confronted Powell about this. Nobody pointed out, wait a minute, you said that we didn't have inflation. You said it was transitory. Because of that, you justified keeping interest rates really low, keep on doing QE, even in the face of relatively low unemployment and an admittedly strong economy. You did that totally on the pretext that there wasn't any inflation. Now we've got inflation. You've admitted we've got inflation and you basically have the exact same policy as when you said there was no inflation. You're going to raise interest rates gradually and maybe two and a half years from now, you'll be up to 1.75%. Why isn't anybody pointing out that this is impossible? And I wish somebody would ask Powell a serious question. I mean, maybe Any reporters who would ask a serious question are not allowed to be at the press conference because they don't want any serious questions. I mean, maybe eventually he'll be like President Biden at his press conference. He'll just read a speech and walk out the door without answering any questions because he's afraid to open his mouth because maybe somebody will actually ask a poignant question. But what somebody should ask Powell is, wait a minute. I mean, (laughs) what if these little itsy bitsy rate hikes aren't enough? What if raising interest rates to three quarters of 1% next year isn't enough to put out this roaring inflation fire. Then what? Then what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to start raising interest rates very rapidly? Will you jack them up to 5% or 10%? And what if unemployment starts to pick up? Will you still raise rates? Or are you going to stop raising rates because you're worried about unemployment? And nobody is asking, pal, what about the effect of a significant rate hike to the stock market? What about the impact in the bond market? What about to finances? What about the U.S. government's ability to service the national debt? You know, by the way, Congress just voted to increase the national debt. This is the first time they've actually increased it in a while because they've just been suspending the ceiling. And I'm not really sure where it last was when they suspended it, but they just hiked it two and a half trillion dollars. The new debt ceiling is 31.4 trillion, right? Right now we're just over 29 trillion. This won't even get us through middle of next year at the rate the government is racking up debt. By the way, that 31.4 trillion, that's about $90,000 per capita, right? Per person except not every person pays taxes, right? A lot of people don't pay any taxes. And of course, that also counts children who aren't working and paying taxes. Think about that. 90,000 a person, that means a family of four is in hock to the tune of $360,000. How many American families do you think have their share of the national debt? You think most American families are good for $360,000? That means the average American family is broke. I mean, most American families don't even have $5,000 worth of savings. How are they going to cover their share of a $31.4 trillion national debt? Obviously, they can't. The debt is completely unpayable from taxation. I mean, A, even if you confiscated all the wealth of the billionaires, you would barely make a dent 
in the national debt. And then what, right? And then you have no economy because you've destroyed all the capital. But it's obvious that American people can't pay this debt because if Americans were actually on the hook for the debt, they'd all be insolvent. We'd all be bankrupted. And this is just the tip of a debt iceberg. This doesn't count all the unfunded liabilities. And of course, it doesn't count the state government and the local government liabilities. Everybody is looking to the same taxpayer. So the federal government has debt. States have debt, cities have debt, and all that debt is the responsibility of the same taxpayer who is broke, right? Well, if the person who owes you money is broke, well, you're not going to get paid because they can't pay you. And that means we're going to default on the debt. There's only two ways to default on the debt, the honest way and the dishonest way. Well, which way do you think the government's going to choose? Obviously, they're going to do it dishonestly. They don't have the guts to honestly default, so they're going to repudiate all the debt through inflation. That's what's happening. But my point was, nobody is saying, how is Congress going to pay the interest on the national debt if you actually have to raise interest rates high enough to fight inflation? And by the way, the longer you take these baby steps in the face of inflation, the more you're ultimately going to have to raise rates because the further and further you're going to fall behind the curve. You're already miles behind the curve and you're denying that you're even behind it in the first place, but you clearly are and you're going to get even further behind if you stay on this path. So what is going to happen? I mean, nobody is holding him to account. Nobody is bringing these facts to his attention. In fact, the only thing that Powell really said is he said, well, I guess history will be the judge, right? In 25 years, they'll look back on this and they'll be able to know whether or not we did the right thing and we got it right on inflation. Well, you know what? History is going to judge you, Mr. Powell, but it's not going to take 25 years. Most people can tell right now, maybe not most people, but a number of people already know you made a massive mistake. You did a horrible job, despite the fact that you got renominated to a second term. But I think it'll be the overwhelming opinion of pretty much everybody that you made a mistake. It's not going to take 25 years, maybe two years. I don't know. But before the end of the Powell second term, it will be obvious to everybody the Fed made a huge mistake, but the bigger problem is it won't be able to correct it.